Welcome to Unlimited Realities. I'm Lisa Zimmer, and I'm here today with my guest, author and filmmaker, Jeff Brown, and we're going to be discussing his latest work, Grounded Spirituality. Welcome, welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much for coming on Unlimited Realities today. It has been a long time since we spoke. It has been. We did a bunch of fun shows years ago. We, it's good to be here, Lisa. We did. I'm so glad to have you here. And I, I understand a congratulations is in order. You have been married since last we spoke. So congratulations to you and your beautiful wife. That's got to be... A very fun and exciting time for you. Um, now, in in talking about your book, Grounded Spirituality, first of all, what a fantastic book this is! This is a book that no doubt has needed to be be uh, created and made for so long. And in knowing your work over the years and watching you over social media. I imagine this book really just birthed itself for you in so many ways because it just it just was so poignant with everything that you are you know it it just it just screams i want to read the first paragraph of your foreword by uh author mystic andrew harvey because i really believe it sets up our whole dialogue here so this is the foreword of grounded spirituality audience and this is uh written by andrew harvey it starts with, this is a book we have all been unconsciously waiting for. It is a book written by a man who has truly understood the dereliction of our time, the collapse of any real moral or spiritual reverence, and the bankruptcy of the religious and guru systems. It is a book written by a man who has not only understood this, but stayed profoundly faithful to the vision that was being birthed in him of a path to the divine through the body. This may seem small or in some ways fascinating, but not profound. But the reality of our situation is, as all the great evolutionary mystics have shown us, that we are going through a massive and necessary global dark night in order to fulfill the evolutionary will of the divine, to co-create the birth of a new embodied divine humanity. It is this birth, this extraordinary, miraculous, amazing birth, that is our greatest hope. And if you want to understand how this birth works, read the book. So I love that because this really sets up what needs to be talked about in Grounded Spirituality. And you start off with um, talking about how our story is valid. There's so many teachings in spiritual communities that discredit our past, our stories, uh, the grist of the mill that you like to call it, and and that piece that kind of evolves our emotional and spiritual piece. So let's start with how did you decide that this book needed to get written? What was it that urged you that this message was important and necessary at this time? Um, I mean, I think it's been part of my own developmental evolution, you know, that began, I mean, I began really being more focused on psychotherapy and psychotherapeutic process than this thing called spirituality. And so when I started to move in this direction, um, I made a film about um, my experiences with a guy named Bhagavan Das, who was made famous in Ram Das's book, Who's Here Now. And, you know, I think that at that stage, I was beginning to ask the question, what is spirituality? 
And I had asked Alexander Lowen, who was my therapist for a while, the uh, co-founder of Bioenergetics, what is spirituality? You know, and like, what are they talking about? You know, um, and he had his own answer, which is come to be actually my answer as well through my own process. And his answer was essentially, you know, it's about getting enlivened um, and opening up the lines and getting energized within the body. In other words, deeply, fully, and completely inhabiting the body. Um, and that that's spirituality, that's what it means to be spirited. And that's a very different answer than what I was experiencing in the so-called spiritual community, um, where it seemed to me that, for the most part, what they were talking about, um, certainly the patriarchal spiritual traditions, which is so much of what we come to believe is spirituality, and certainly the New Cage movement, which has also become much of what we believe is spirituality, that what they seem to be talking about really was about getting away from the body. And Jeff Brown fan page, what was called a fan page back then on Facebook, and very nervously, uncomfortably, because I felt like I was now, you know, standing in my activism. Um, and there was a part of me that wanted to just stay soft and sweet and talk about purpose and path. And um, But I put that post up and, and a page that I wasn't utilizing very much, and the post went crazy. Um, so I began to understand that there was something happening out there for people. There were a number of people who were disillusioned with this thing we've called spirituality for a long time and were wanting a voice to come through that reflected their experience, validated their experience, and actually gave, gave them implied permission or explicit permission in a way to feel what they were really feeling about this thing we're calling spirituality. Um, and then after that, it just, just kept coming through me. You know, it just kept coming through me, and I kept watching it and watching Byron Katie and been looking at Tole again and listening to Ajishanti and reading a lot of the old Eastern texts that all seem to be saying the same thing about this thing called the absolute self that seems so deeply disconnected from my experience of selfhood. Um, and uh, and then it was just it was just time to write the book. You know, it was it was just a necessary and. I feel like, you know, if we look at what's going on in our world, certainly in the West, you know, this whole Trumpian world, I think this reality is so much about dissociation, you know, right. this is a dissociative leader, and I began to feel as though he was very similar to many of the so-called spiritual teachers and teachings out there that also felt, in their own way, dissociated. Um, right. And that the only way home for us now, it feels to me, is coming back into our bodies and into true presence, not disconnected dissociative presence so that we can see what's happening to ourselves in our world so we can actually do something about it. And and you talk about, you know, there's there's so much in your book and there's so many um, different facets we can we can go into. In talking about uh, the spiritual gurus and the spiritual leaders, and um, you know, you have an, an excerpt in here on Bhagavad Das um, and how you know you could see him in a different um, context as like a, a parallel to your father. Um, let's talk a little bit about how your awareness when you were like four years old and laying in your backyard and looking up at the sky and how nobody ever told you this, but intuitively you knew enough that because you were feeling so much and you were such a sensitive kid that you knew to move your body. And so, and how this movement of your body, you know, start, you know, actually uh, moved into your connection with Alexander Lowen. But let's talk a little bit about your four-year-old little body looking up at the sky. Yeah. So I used to lie down in the back 
incredible that's that is uh it goes to show you how much wisdom children have you know if they're left to their own devices in regard to just really tapping in and trusting themselves if we how how wise that was at four years old and and also look at the trajectory of how it also took you in your life i mean you actually worked with the co-founder of bioenergetic analysis, Alexander Lowe, and the, the man, you know? So it's like, it's really amazing how, how life works that way, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's amazing how life works that way if we are seeking something more than survivalist consciousness. True. You know? I mean, if, we're, if we stay there, then we're not going to move in those directions. We're just going to find something that works and we're going to stick with it. But if you're seeking a re-experience of something called wholeness or, you know, then you start seeking out those things that reflect that and that will help you to move along to the next level. I mean, Lowen didn't really say anything to me that I didn't already know. Right. But what, whatever he said was a reminder to me of what I once knew and right. what I once lived. And, and that was, that was the, one of the most important doorways or pathways. 
but being such a catalyst in your excavation had to be such, you know, uh, you know, a, a breakthrough in so many ways for you. Um, now, you you have some great quotes throughout your book. One of them um, I just absolutely love, and it's excessive analysis perpetuates emotional paralysis. And I think that that is just such an incredible quote. Um, for somebody who overthinks things, let's talk about how that um, can create a little bit of a disconnect in regard to how, how, how the processing works. Because I think the one thing that you and Eckert agreed on was that there was a pain body. I think that was the one thing you agreed on. There is a pain body. Um, now, uh, well, <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't call it a pain body. I, I think that sounds like you're talking about a, a car part. Or something. You're right. Um, I might, I would call it my tender woundedness. Okay. Or, absolutely. Okay. I don't It is, it is completely different concept. And why do you feel, I mean, we, we, we know why people. talk about you know there's there's so much in your book and there's so many um different facets we can we can go into in talking about uh the spiritual gurus and the spiritual leaders and um you know you have an an excerpt in here on bhagavad das 
um, and how, you know, you could see him in a different um, context as like a, a parallel to your father. Um, let's talk a little bit about how your awareness when you were like four years old and laying in your backyard and looking up at the sky and how nobody ever told you this, but intuitively you knew enough that because you were feeling so much and you were such a sensitive kid that you knew to move your body. And so, and how this movement of your body, you know, start, you know, actually uh, moved into your connection with Alexander Lowen. But let's talk a little bit about your four-year-old little body looking up at the sky. Right. Which happens to so many of us. And I would lie on the ground, look at the sky, so, you know, think about things, so I, and my mind was activated. I would go into my feeling body. I was very connected to my feeling body, and I would sense in my physical body how I needed to move it or open it or expand it or deepen into it in order to activate, excavate, connect with, and release the emotions I was holding. I had some intuitive understanding of the importance of release at a very early age. Amazing. incredible that's that is uh it goes to show you how much wisdom children have you know if they're left to their own devices in regard to just really tapping in and trusting themselves if we how how wise that was at four years old and and also look at the trajectory of how it also took you in your life i mean you actually worked with 
the co-founder of bioenergetic analysis, Alexander Lowe, and the, the man, you know? So it's like, it's really amazing how, how life works that way, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's amazing how life works that way if we are seeking something more than a survivalist consciousness. True. You know? I mean, if, we're, if we stay there, then we're not going to move in those directions. We're just going to find something that works and we're going to stick with it. But if you're seeking a re-experience of something called wholeness, or, you know, then you start seeking out those things that reflect that and that will help you to move along to the next level. I mean, Lowen didn't really say anything to me that I didn't already know. Right. But what, whatever he said was a reminder to me of what I once knew, right. what I once lived, and, and that was that was the one of the most important doorways or pathways. But being such a catalyst in your excavation had to be such, you know, uh, you know, a, a breakthrough in so many ways for you. Um, now, you you have some great quotes throughout your book. One of them. Um, I just absolutely love, and it's excessive analysis perpetuates emotional paralysis. And I think that that is just such an incredible quote. Um, For somebody who overthinks things, let's talk about how that um, can create a little bit of a disconnect in regard to how how, how the processing works. Because I think the one thing that you and... Eckert agreed on was that there was a pain body. I think that was the one thing you agreed on. There is a pain body. Um, now, uh, well, <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't call it a pain body. I, I, that sounds like you're talking about a, a car part. Or you're right. Um, I might, I would call it my tender woundedness. Okay. Uh, absolutely. Okay. I don't see it as something separate from my true self. I see it as intrinsic to my true self. Terms like pain body imply somehow there's this thing that's separate from who you really are, and I think that's the biggest mistake of all, and that's just fundamental. There's nothing unique about his work. He's talking about patriarchal spirituality. That's these are fundamental beliefs that you witness it, and somehow that awareness transforms it, which is often preposterous. Mm-hmm. As witnessing and healing are not always and often are not the same thing. And for me, you know, my my view is that repressed emotions are unactualized spiritual lessons, that there's no distinction between emotional maturation and spiritual maturation, whereas that perspective is really of the view that there's these two realities. There's the false self-reality that's riddled with pain and overwhelmed by the ego and trapped in the mind, and my view, which is that all of these things are part of the human experience, and a true spirituality integrates all of them in an inclusive weave. So these are two very different views of the world, and one leads to people being in a kind of a meditative stupor, kind of sounding like automatons, being neutralized and trying, you know, being so trapped in that meditative stupor that they convince themselves that they don't have stuff anymore. But of course, if you look at their personal lives, it's all over their lives. But um, what I'm talking about is really going deep down into the material and really excavating the material and working that material through so that your experience of selfhood really is connected to your localized self and then from that place you access a unity consciousness field rather than bypassing all of it right. trying to float above and away from it in a way that's completely dissociated it is it is completely different concept and why do you feel i mean we 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 know why people gravitate to the um 
you know, concept of moving beyond it, letting go, not digging deep, because it's easier. It's hard work to dig deep into your emotions and to really feel through what you're going through. So, you know, it's understandable on that, on that piece. Um, now, you, you actually uh, look at di- therapists differently because, you know, there's, as we know, there's a lot of therapy out there. There's a lot of different therapy. There's a lot of therapy that encourages you to let it go. There's a lot of uh, therapy that encourages you to kind of bypass a lot of the emotions. Um, the emotions and the feelings are one of those pieces that as we move through them and we process them, uh, how we look at it is different, but we have to move through the physicality part of it. And what I loved about the exercises and the, um, the different tools that you offer in your book is that you give the reader real hands-on tactics and and tools to utilize to work through their body to work through the emotions um you talked about a a um a board that you threw your body over and when alexander lowen was working with you he was encouraging you to feel more and cry more can you explain to us that process or what that feels like because I think in our mind, when we talk about physically processing, it's different than what the actual process is. So can we talk a little bit about how cathartic that felt for you when you were actually going through the process physically? Yeah, it's called a breathing stool in bioenergetics. It kind of looks like a pommel horse. Okay. Um, Because parts of the body have been constricted to the lack. 
revive it and integrate the body, you come into contact with all kinds of things you come into contact with, with the so-called medicine, without the danger that's associated with it. Oh, that's, that's incredible. How would we uh, be able to find a somatic psychotherapist? How would we... Yeah, so, yeah well, um, there's three, there's four that I would suggest checking out. One is somatic experiencing, which I would say is a mild or gentler um, somatic psychotherapy. Um, and their website is somaticexperiencing.com. That's Peter Levine's work. Core Energetics. And they all have practitioner lists on their sites, coreenergetics.org. Um, there's a bioenergetic website. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the site is, but if you Google International Institute of Bioenergetic Analysis, you'll find that. And some people are recommending something called TRE to me, Trauma Release Exercises, which is David Burchelli's work, which I think you can check it online also. Oh, awesome. Wonderful. Okay. Now, you you know, there's a piece here for um, people who are, who are spiritual seekers um, a lot of times with spirituality, it, um, as you have been discussing, it's a patriarchal, um, spiritual world for so many decades. It has primarily been something that there's been a very strong male presence in it. And in that piece, do you foresee in our present and near future more of a feminine uh, spirituality opening up and, and more of the spiritual teachers in, encouraging more of our holistic integration with our emotions and our feelings and, and, and looking at that? Are you seeing a change? Are you seeing a little bit of a shift? Because you're an, a unique spiritual teacher. You know, you, there's... You're not somebody who's going to pacify uh, with rhetoric or, or dogma. You're, you're real. You're, <laughs> you have integrity. So do you foresee this, a shift coming with spiritual teachers? Because I've been a little disillusioned in the past. Yeah. I mean, I think the first step is for people to stop um, bullshitting and calling themselves spiritual teachers. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. 
Right. Every time they feel pain, they pick up a big sword and say, I am the master. It's, it's the same over and over. <laughs> it really is. It really is. It's comical if yeah. you can step back and look it's, at it. It's a joke. Yeah. It's a joke that just destroys people. I mean, that's the problem with it. You know, I know. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a joke that's not so funny. No, it's not. Because, you know, first of all, when people are in, in, in a spiritual uh, mindset or they're seekers of a deepening uh, belief or feeling they're vulnerable there's a vulnerability there and and what really uh we've talked about this before it makes me ill to see these people just prey on the vulnerability of people and unfortunately a lot of that vulnerability is women um it has you know it's it's that piece that we we really need to take some responsibility for it in the spiritual community um, another piece that I love that you address is that, uh, the ego isn't such a bad guy. And, you know, there's so much bashing about the ego. There's so much bashing about the ego in the spiritual community. And I even challenged, um, the, the Wayne, Dr. Wayne Dyer on this once, because he was one of the, the biggest who, uh, he did edging God out as, you know, the acronym. Uh, for, for, I talked about that in the book. Oh yeah, it's, it's complete. And so let's talk a little bit about what a healthy ego is and why it's necessary. <laughs> well, well, I couldn't have this conversation with you without a healthy ego, right? I mean, I, right. I feel sturdy enough. I wouldn't feel centered enough. I wouldn't have enough confidence in myself to even express any of these views. You know? Right. So, you know, to me, the bashing of the ego, just like the blaming of the mind, the game, you know, the game they play where they just stay inside of their mind and try to subdue the mind from within the witnessing mind. You know, all of this, the bashing of story, the perpetual turning around of story as so there's no real story left, um, the dismemberment of the body in many ways, um, and the suggestion that our feelings and emotions aren't real or aren't significant, all of it is the same thing. It's just another way, for little boys, to stop feeling all of reality because it hurts too much. Right. Um, so edging this idea that the ego, this thing that is fundamental to human functioning, rather than and not making the distinction between a healthy ego and say a narcissistic unhealthy ego, for example, which is just a sensible, grounded distinction to make, the idea that it's all bad um, is one of the ways that we completely fuck up seekers and trap them inside of our own teachings. You know, right? And, and think of the confusion for people. So they go into the psychotherapeutic process where there's a sensible emphasis on the development of a healthy ego. Then they go hang out with the so-called spiritual practitioners who tell them that they have to dissolve the ego altogether in order to have a true experience of the absolute or God self. It is such a mind fuck. <laughs> yeah. So Right. But if you keep them out there, 
Right. Because we don't we really know how to work through things yet as a, as a species in many ways. Um, and then they lead them to this pasture where they have a momentary experience of relief. And, you know, so like for me, if, if Tole, if all of them said, listen, here's a first stage of awakening process for you. Right. Not enlightenment. Forget that nonsense. That's complete utter bullshit. First stage of awakening. And, you know, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pull up and out of your localized land and see yourself and this reality through, say, a vaster lens. Right. I got no problem with that. Um, but then we got to figure out how to bring them back into their bodies after this so-called transcendent experience so they can do the weave of the, the wisdom that they came to through that transcendent experience with their imminent localized experience. Otherwise, you have a bifurcated consciousness, right? Right. It's like Michael in the book where he sees everything human as bullshit. Right. Whatever he's going, what he TMs is the real story. Now, of course, it's preposterous that that's the only real story, because he's living a whole other story inside of his body that's entirely real and so real that it could kill him. Right. Right. It doesn't orient in the right direction. If he traps all those emotions in his body, it's going to toxify and it could kill him. So it, it's completely real. So the question is, how do we create a spirituality that understands all of it is real and that weaves it together into one? indistinguishable weave of experience and expression. And that means welcoming the healthy ego and working through the unhealthy ego. Right, right. I mean, it's, it, it's there. It's part of us. It's who we are. It's what gets us in and out of the rain. It's, it's, it's a valid part of what makes us tick. I never understood how we could diminish a part of ourself, even if it wasn't the glossy part of ourself. You know? <laughs> it's like... You just look at the dirt and you try to figure out where it came from. So, you know. Well, I, mean, I mean, the ego. I mean, I, I, I don't. I couldn't actualize anything without some element of a healthy ego. Right. Even make, and since another could die, you know. Right. I mean, he's just whatever they're writing, whatever they're writing for whatever reason they're writing. You know, it sounds cute and kitschy and she got out, but you really understand what that means. It means that what this person's saying is, if there's a god, that. God put us in human form, but that somehow what God made a mistake. Right. I mean, that's pretty arrogant. Uh, so, so what's the better way of looking at it? It's here for a reason. We just have to figure out what the reason is. Right. It's the discerning part of who we are. You know, it just. Right. So they don't want discernment. No, they don't. Discerning and centered, patriarchal spirituality loses its market share. Right. 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 It's coming. Ex- There's not going to be that hero worship and that idol worship where everyone goes to workshop after workshop after workshop. You know, it's like it's the constant wheel of uh, let me search. Let me continue to search and not just like sit in what I know. So um, I'm glad you brought up Michael because that's my next segue into the discussion. 
Michael is a great character in Grounded Spirituality, and I loved your dialogue going back and forth with Michael. Um, it reminded me of an old friend, Vinny, but I liked Michael's way of actually, you know, in his, in his confusion or in his way of trying to find meaning, he actually was um, very open-minded, I found, for somebody who was questioning things. So let's talk a little bit about Michael and his, his perception in his relationship. Around uh, maybe third, th third way through the book, you're talking with Michael, and Michael's having a, a, a difficult time with his wife at the time in regard to what their priorities were, where they, where they were going. And you made a comment and you said, in the old days, people assumed traditional roles and obligations, but not in new conscious relationship landscape. People don't stay together if they can't heal and grow together. Now, where do you feel that shifted? Because I feel like that's a pretty uh, current shift today. Like, I don't feel we even had that grasp seven, ten years ago like we do today. Um, why, why do you feel that as relationships are evolving or as we're connecting in relationships, we're, we're changing this dynamic, we're stepping out, outside of the traditional obligational role? I think this is just part of a more progressive evolution that we're, we're generally moving away from survivalism as our defining principle. So you define who you are by what puts food on the table and by duties, obligations, practical responsibilities, loyalty to your team or your family, you know, protection against others coming into the village, all of that. And in that consciousness, you know, relationship was like in my grandparents' time. It was, that was his role, that was her role, and all of that. And there wasn't any space or interest in focusing on the shadow of the human experience, it was just about staying alive. You know, right. it's like post-World War II, just find a way to function practically, make sure you're taking care of business. And so now, you know, I guess we've had, we've had enough time with that, that some of us are evolving beyond it and asking a deeper question, which is not just who am I in terms of a survival construct, but who am I in terms of authenticity, who I really am, what am I growing into? You know, in the old days, they would sort of pick a self-definition and I'd become an accountant and I, my whole personality and life would organize around that. And now people are asking a deeper question. What's my purpose? What's my calling? What am I here to bring? What am I here to offer? Um, and it's not just a practical question. And I think this is happening in the relationship area as well. People are asking the question, you know, what's the stuff that's coming up in this dynamic? Mm -hmm. Instead of grinning and bearing it and the guy goes in the garage into his man cave and the woman goes and does whatever she does. Now we're wanting to move to the next level on an evolutionary level and ask the real deep question of who am I really and how do we make this work in a way that reflects and supports our evolution and that supports the evolution of the collective and um, you know, it's just, and what you're seeing in America is so much about this. It's, it's the old survivalist consciousness, which we stand on the shoulders of, it should never forget that, is digging in its heels because it knows that it's on the state out. And the progressive consciousness continues to evolve, and that's why the gap has gotten so wide. You know, 30 or 40 years ago, liberals and conservatives weren't that different from each other. In Canada, uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau and Joe Clark would sit down every morning and have conversations to try to hammer out deals. You can't do it anymore because now the progressives keep progressing and the, that 
Canada, we they were calling the progressive conservatives. Hmm. They now just call themselves the conservative, and I, I call it the regressive conservatives because <laughs> now they're digging in, in their heels and holding on to what they know best. And wow. It's happening in every area of society, this battle between these two ways of being. Um, and it's really happening in the relationship area as well, where people are no longer satisfied with those constructs, and they want to go deeper, and they want to keep growing with their partners, and they want to know each other in a different way than the same way they've known each other for 20 years. Right, right. And and in your character, Michael, in the book, um, he takes a pretty drastic change to um, kind of feel, to feel differently. And yeah. so uh, he disappears for like three or four days, and he goes, yeah. he goes, uh, he becomes homeless on the streets, and his wife is a little freaked out, like, where is he? Um, but let's talk about how Michael changed when he came back after those three days, because he shows up in the coffee shop, and you hardly recognize him. So right. how does that how does that show up? I mean, I think that you know, for me, the road back is feeling. Right. Right. Rather, the road back is strengthening the mind and knowledge and wisdom and all that. For me, the road back is feeling. So you could say that I'm oriented in a way that's more congruent with the feminine consciousness in terms of spirituality and in terms of life generally in every regard. And so my work with Michael, who comes to me as a sort of disconnected seeker who's like, you know, a tea ever and, you know, three, four hours a day, I met a yoga flying the whole trip. And he's like, his life's a mess. He hates his job. His wife wants a baby, doesn't want a baby, because he doesn't want to be pulled into the world, and a baby's going to pull him into the world. So, you know, and the work with him is to bring him back into his body. So we start with uh, Alexander Lowen's bioenergetic grounding position in Chapter 1. And he has a profound experience of awakening to this whole web of feeling that's inside of the body that is his head tripping and meditative witnessing and all this, these processes that he engages in allows him to not be aware of that. And so he, and then we do the enrollment walking meditation, the excavation meditation, various things to bring him back into his body. And so it's, it's happening throughout the journey with him. He resists and then he comes in a little closer. He resists and he comes, because it's a big deal to reconnect someone to their traumatic material right. after spending decades on the run from it. You know, sure. I, I try to handle that as gingerly as possible in the process. And um, and then towards the latter part of the book, which is after we get him here, so part two is called here, it's like getting him more into his body and presence. Part three is called why, because then he says, okay, so I'm here now. I go like, why do I want to be here? This world's so fucked up. And that's where sacred purpose comes in. You know, right. why are you here? Um, and the relationship between the here and the why. And, you know, at some point in the journey, without giving too much away, he... Um, shifts in the direction of wanting to embrace. He is such a, he's so repelled by homeless people. It's like, they're kind of like a symbol of decayed humanness, which is the thing he's fleeing the most intensely. And but yet he has an odd curiosity about them, probably because they represent for him a return back into his own shadow and the, old, the, the challenges of the human experience. So he reaches a stage where he's just sort of you know, in a healthy way, I suppose, dissociates from his patterning, and he just goes down on, on the street level and just, like, hangs out with them for three days and sleeps on the ground. And it's like he needed this extreme experience of the dark side in order to reconnect with um, his here-ness and his wideness. And then he comes back, and I see him, because we have, like, 12 meetings throughout the book, the 12 chapters, and um, he's not visually so clear. I mean, like he doesn't look like Michael exactly. He feels more human to me, uh, rougher, um, less polished. 
this is great. I loved Michael. I felt a real um, entity with him, a real presence. And his, his energy, his personality was very, uh, very true, very palpable. It was, um, you could feel him. And that part of the book I found, uh, it, 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 was, it was kind of like, you know, reminding me a little bit of conversations with God because it was, it was kind of like that, that alter ego or that other aspect of ourselves that, that thinks and feels and then our higher self comes in and, and clarifies the, the field for us. Um, you know, he left and went on the streetcar and I went for my walk at the end of it. I had a lot of feeling about it and I, I, I felt like I was going to miss him even though he doesn't really exist. He's a construct, you know, right? because we went through a process together. Um, and I didn't really realize at the end of writing the book that I'd gone through a process. I just felt like annoyed. It's just like writing this hard book. It was like 400 pages. It's like, are you crazy? It was like <laughs> on and on. But then at the end of it, I felt like I had gone through a process. That yeah. I had This, this was a really powerful book. I mean, there were so many aspects to it to get so much out of, and I had to read it in like two days. So it was like I was, I was <laughs> literally inhaling it. Um, but there's, there's so many pieces that I need to go back to and reread because there's, there's so many parts that are, you know, food for thought and, and, to, and to get you to use these exercises, which I'm using and feel really cathartic. These are incredible uh, tools and exercises you have in, the, in this book. I'm loving those. Um, and I, re- I, I just think everyone, it's kind of like the Bible everyone needs if they're spiritually, uh, you know, wanting to feel more. Because, and I agree with you on the spiritual teachers and the, you know, the guru, um, aspect because you talk a lot about you know how the spiritual community has really put itself in a in a place of um kind of you know exalting itself and you ground it and that's what i love about you is because you know you have all this enlightenment talk in the spiritual community and oh i'm so enlightened and oh they're so enlightened and oh enlightenment is such a wonderful well enlightenment to me is an ongoing process i don't think you ever really you know, reach it in, in your human state, you know? Absolutely. And so, the great irony is those traditions is that, you know, they're so egoic about, about how enlightened, awakened, and conscious they are. Right. And their work is supposed to be about the dissolution of the ego. Just, just I know. I know. It's strut around like that. It, it is. It's amazing to me because it's it's comical when you can, can look at it for, for where yeah. it comes from, you know? I mean, and you, you address so many things, you know, even in the, in the name changes of how, you know, people change their names or are given different names and, and, you know, to bypass or to let go of their past, you know. And I think that that's probably more common in our generation than maybe in, in the current millennial generation. You know, I don't, I don't see so much of that. So maybe they're learning, you know. <laughs> I think the millennials are, have really, many of them have very Oh, I agree. Um, bullshit monitors. I yes. Mean,
Sure. Part of you journey, and it's fine. You need to imagine yourself something other than. Right. You want to have a more expansive experience of self, it's fine. But if you, you know, don't at some point come back down and tend to the reality of uh, Lisa Zimmer and Jeff Brown, what do we carry? Yeah. Profound story and all the seeds of wisdom and transformation that live in the heart of that story. And you end up again bifurcated. So you're, you know, whoever you are, Uchi Gucci, whatever, and then you're Jeff Brown, and then you're mixed up. <laughs> right. You know, right. you're, you're Bhagavan Das. You're calling yourself Bhagavan Das, and let your behavior indicate that you're still Kermit Michael Riggs, and that's fine. <laughs> you know, if you're willing to weave all of those parts together at some point in your journey, and unfortunately, a lot of them get stuck out there, and they keep floating away from selfhood imagining that the real life experience exists independent of it, and yet they're living in a human body, living inside of these patterns, trapped inside of these unresolved and armored emotional pieces that haven't been dealt with yet. And, you know, so you'll often hear stories about people who are, it was coming through on Facebook for a while, and not that long ago, when a number of sort of name changers were suiciding. And it made, made perfect sense to me. You'd look on their Facebook wall, they'd be wearing white robes, they'd be on the beach, it all looked wonderful. But yet in the middle of the night, their stuff was everywhere, and they couldn't bear to be in human form. So wow. it's fine to do all these techniques, so long as you ultimately come back down into your body and work the weave right. of what lives inside of you and how that interfaces with a more expansive consciousness. Amen. Great book, Jeff. Loved it. Thanks, Lisa. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and being my first guest. And I'm, I'm hoping that my uh, tech skills will really do us justice and we'll have a great show. <laughs> so I thank, thank you, so, you so much. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Thanks. Bye-bye.